You're listening to the Ministry Grow Show, brought to you by Reliant Creative, the creative agency for gospel-centered ministries. Find out more at ReliantCreative.org. Welcome to the Ministry Grow Show, a podcast dedicated to helping churches and ministries grow and make more effective impacts for the kingdom of God in an ever-changing digital world. Whether you're building and growing a gospel-centered ministry or leading a church, if you want insight into the strategies, struggles, challenges, and successes of other ministry leaders, you've come to the right place. Welcome back to the Ministry Growth Show. Today on the show, I'm going to be talking with Rick Sessoms from Freedom to Lead International. He's the founder and CEO. Rick, thanks for being on the show. Thanks so much. Great being here. Yeah. Can you tell us a little about, bit about your ministry, uh, Freedom to Lead International? Why do you guys exist? What do you do? Um, and then if you can include some thoughts on your, your focus of unreached and underserved areas of the world, uh, that would be great. Sure. I'll try to do this briefly. Um, Freedom to Lead began in 2009. We were responding. I've been in leadership development for a lot of years, decades, but we were responding to the 90% of leaders around the world, Christian leaders, ministry leaders, that are um, that are basically untrained. Um, the, the statistics show that about 5% of leaders that are serving in ministry have been to some sort of a formal education, Bible college, seminary, what have you. Another 5% roughly have had some sort of non-formal training but roughly about 90% have had no training whatsoever. So we were, uh, we saw this incredible need uh, around the world and said, well, we'd, we'd like to tackle that as, you know, with our small, uh, you know, just a few of us, but, but we, we believe that, that, uh, that God wants to jump in this space. And as we, began to look at that, we, we began to realize that a Christ-centered leadership model was very, very important mm-hmm. in these contexts. And we also realized that most of these people learn best and are most likely to be influenced through story um, and images and music and drama and dance, as opposed to the wet, more re- Western-oriented uh, literacy-based models of learning. Uh, conceptual frameworks, abstract theology, and so forth. And so we developed this ministry called Freedom to Lead that uh, started in North India and uh, worked with a, collaborated with a group of people there that were working in these spaces uh, among the unreached people in North India. And for three or four years, five years even, we we just kind of uh, were grinding it out in, in that context and came up with a program that is a a four-year program called the Garden Project that uses these methods of story, symbol, and song to uh, develop leaders. And uh, since then, uh, we've expanded into, I think, more than 50 countries throughout South Asia and Africa and are looking right now in the Middle East and Central Asia and South Pacific and Latin America uh, so anyway, that's why we exist. We, we, uh, I, I'm, I don't claim to be an expert at, uh, this story, uh, issue. Some people call it a reality. Um, we, 
tend to call it story-centric simply because orality sometimes has the, the notion that people can't read. Um, whereas story-centric, I think, communicates that people l- learn best. They prefer to communicate in these story sort of frameworks rather than through uh, one, two, three point sort of approaches. And uh, we found that the vast majority of people we associate with uh, resonate with that, and particularly the people in these unreached areas around the world. Uh, so we're seeing a lot of response to, to this. Uh, we uh, have really targeted places that are difficult to reach, people that are working among the unreached uh, in order to advance the kingdom in, the, in those places and around the world. Mm. Now, throughout your site, you guys use terminology like reproducing, multiplying, uh, movement terminology. Are you guys familiar with and working with DMM, CPM, T4T type models within your ministry strategies paired with what you've learned about orality or story-centric approaches? We are. In fact, uh, DMM has been one of our partners. Uh, We have worked closely with DMM partners in Africa. Uh, uh, Yunusa Jao is is the leader of DMM in in Africa, uh, up in Abidjan, Cote d'Ivoire. We work with uh, Aichi Biene in in, uh, Ethiopia. We've been working most recently with Ayla Tasi in the in the network he works with across East Africa that's that's based in Nairobi, Kenya, with Lifeway Mission. So there's a lot of people that we are working with that are we're trying to help them to uh, maintain the movement. As Isla would say, uh, he's deeply involved with DMM as one of the leaders in that part of the world. But he would say that that leadership development, leadership is is absolutely essential to maintain a movement. And and mm-hmm. so this leadership component is huge in their model of moving this forward. So we do work with those. We've, we've worked with other lesser known groups like uh, the Bridges Train Network in South Asia. There's also a movement oriented uh, thing that is focused on multiplication. Our model, our, our model, our strategy is very much a multiplication strategy. So, uh, yeah, these movement models are uh, very important to what we do. Mm. Okay, cool. Now, one, what I'm really interested in, because we are interested and passionate about story, is that story-centric piece that you talk about. You've mentioned it already in this conversation. Uh, I'm in the middle of, like I said, offline reading your book, Leading with Story. And so um, this idea of story-centric, a story-centric approach is really uh, fascinating to me. So can you share what makes Freedom to Lead different from other mission organizations and specifically talking about that story-centric approach, how you guys started employing this story-centered tool in the disciple-making or DMM-type um, models and and leadership, de- using it within, within the leadership development context? Yeah. Um, well, as many people know, there are uh, many ministries that are focusing on oral strategies. Uh, mm-hmm. You can there, are many of them uh, are dealing in that areas. Uh, in the area of evangelism, using evangelism, Jesus film is a classic example of 
a right. story, an orality approach to telling the story uh, through the eyes of Luke. Um, there are other groups that are doing great discipleship work in using story. Uh, there are others like uh, Scriptures in Use out of uh, Arizona that are using uh, story orality to plant churches. Um, but we jumped into this because a study was done in 2007. I happened to be on the board of the Luzon movement at that time. And we were doing a, doing a survey to find out what the big issues of, for world evangelization were at the time. And uh, we found out that this orality thing was a growing phenomenon around the world. But we also recognized that while people were coming to Christ through story, they were being discipled through storytelling. Their churches were being planted out of these storytelling groups. To date, there was no one that was really developing leaders using story. In other words, those people that came to Christ and were discipled had to go back into a sort of a literacy-based uh, framework in order to learn to be trained to be leaders. And so we said, well, why would that be necessary? Why, why shouldn't we continue to help these people not to have to be extracted from their cultures and their context in order to learn leadership? Why don't we help them lead where they are? Because they're already leading. Uh, right. there's, a, there's an interesting phenomenon that in the West, like for me, when, when I came to Christ and, and gave myself to him uh, back when I was a teenager, I... I felt called to the ministry. No church ever came and endorsed me. I just decided I wanted to go to Bible college. So I went to Bible college, got my piece of paper at the end of four years, and suddenly I'm, a, I'm considered a leader. Um, so it ba is based on what you know uh, in, in our background. In these oral cultures, people are identified as leaders by their, by their communities. And so they come to Christ and that's why 90% of them don't have training is they're already determined to be leaders by their community. And so part of the orality strategy is we don't want to extract these people from their communities where they're already leading and serving, but we want to come alongside of them to help them become better leaders where they're already leading. And so that's a difference between the Western and the Eastern approach or the majority world approach to, um, to, to, to leading and, and to a strategy of leadership development that I think is effective. So that was part of what we were trying to do. Um, to understand the story piece a little bit better from me personally, um, maybe I could tell you a little bit of my own story. Maybe that would help. Yeah. Uh, I grew up in the South and you can probably tell by my accent that I'm, I'm Southern. Um, and and so I grew up in a family that my, my parents were educated. I, I grew up in a family that uh, went to college and so forth. But, but we love stories. I kind of grew up in a, in a family of storytellers. So I grew up loving to hear good stories. I mean, it's part of our Southern culture, I think. And uh, so fast forward to my wife and I went to Indonesia as missionaries in 1982, over 40 okay. years ago now. And when we got finished with language study there, uh, we were assigned to go to the seminary on the island of Sulawesi. And when we showed up at the seminary, we were told that we were supposed to teach. 
And I remember when the teachers got together and said, who's going to teach what? I got what nobody else wanted to teach because I was a new kid on the block. <laughs> and one of those courses was preaching. And so I prepared my lessons and, and you know, I had been doing some preaching and, and I had been trained to preach in a typical Bible college where, you know, the preaching was you exegete the scriptures and then you come up with your three points in a poem sort of thing. And you might sprinkle some illustrations in there, but the, the important stuff was the three points. Right. And, and so uh, I began to teach it that way in the Bible college or in the seminary where I was. And everything was going along well. And I was attending the church that was down the street where most of the seminary students and the professors would go. And it was kind of a formal church. And I would go every Sunday. And I didn't pay attention to the fact that the preachers were all preaching three points in a poem. Uh, sort of approach. And it was a big church, four or 500 people. And, and I sat there every Sunday dutifully and listened to this and, and it, you know, didn't pay much attention. But then from time to time, I was invited out into the villages to, uh, to, to, to visit and, uh, you know, do things. And I noticed that in the villages, they had a completely different way of communication than in the villages when, when the government or anybody wanted to teach something, they would use these Y on these leather puppets and they would wait until nightfall and then they'd put up a big bed sheet and they'd take a light from behind and they would throw these silhouettes of these puppets and they would do these puppet shows. And people from anywhere from seven to 70 years old would sit there and they'd watch these shows, these stories being told. And they were teaching the lessons and by the way, they would never come to the end of it and say, now these are the three points you need to learn <laughs> from these lessons, but they would just tell the stories. Yeah. And I thought, well, that's weird. And so I went back to the seminary and at the same time, I was listening to a series of lectures from a guy named Fred Craddock, who uh, was teaching at the time at Candler School of Theology in Atlanta. And I was receiving his tapes. My mother and dad were sending me these tapes. And he was doing this guest lectureship at Princeton University on preaching and storytelling. And I listened to this and I thought, this is incredible. Uh, and, and so I got a crazy idea, Zach, that one Sunday when they needed a guest preacher at the church, I, I said, well, they, they came and asked me, would you fill in? And I said, sure. And, and so I said, could I tell a story? And they sort of shrugged their shoulders. They thought it was kind of weird from a white guy, you know, so, but they said, sure, that's fine. <laughs> and so uh, I did. I stood up and told this story about a guy who died and went to hell. And of course, I, it was all based in scripture, but I never stopped and said, now John 15 says this, you know, I just told the story and and in the end, I closed the story without any any explanation, no three, no three points, nothing. And this, as I told you, this church was full of Bible college and seminary students and professors and stuff. I'd never seen any kind of response in this, this church at all. And uh, at the end of the sermon, I just said, if, uh, if you'd like to uh, respond to Christ uh, this morning, uh, would you respond by raising your hand? And I think probably 40 or 50 people responded that morning. And uh, I was scratching my head because I knew I didn't, 
didn't even tell the story very well. It was in broken in <laughs> Indonesian, you know. Well, I went on from there, went back to class the next morning. And the next morning when I got on campus, the elders of the church showed up. And they said, we we appreciate, you know, in their Indonesian sort of gentle way, they said, we, we appreciate you preaching yesterday morning, but whatever you did, that, that wasn't preaching. And, um, and I, I said, well, okay. So I noticed that they didn't ask me to preach again for almost two years after that. And I kept, you know, teaching, preaching at the seminary. And then two years later, they, uh, they had another, uh, you know, cancellation. So they were desperate, I guess. So they asked me to preach again. <laughs> and so this time I'm, I'm a little bit hard headed. I, 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 uh, I decided I'd tell the story of Caleb and Joshua that went into the promised land and said, we can do this and went back and they said, no, there's giants. And so, you know, the whole story and the, 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 the message of the story, even though I didn't say this was the message was that Caleb was faithful as a young man, the choices he made as a young man. So when he became old, God blessed him and he had a wonderful ministry. Uh, in in due time, and I finished the sermon, and I was I was praying at the end, and and I don't I'm not exaggerating. There was an old man, and he was sitting about halfway back in this large church, and he threw up his hands in the middle of my prayer, and he said, "Oh God, save me!" And he ran to the front church, and he threw himself oh, down in front of the pulpit. It's a stone floor. I'd never, I'd never seen anybody respond. And suddenly there was this dash of people who were responding after him. And they just came and they came and they came. And, and I just sat there sort of stunned, honestly. But I realized through that that something was going on. And I'm a bit of a slow learner, but, but we began to realize that, that God was using this story thing and before I left Indonesia, they were inviting me to do these stories all over the place to large, large groups of people. Five and 10,000 people were gathering for these stories. And I'm not kidding you. I, I'm not a great storyteller. But just the fact that somebody was attempting to do it in their culturally appropriate way set me in motion that when I came back to the States and began, became a pastor. And I really wanted to understand this whole thing that at the time was called narrative preaching. And so I did some lectures on that, but story has always been very close to my heart. So when I got into the leadership development full time back in, uh, many years ago, um, when this whole issue of orality started to arise, I think God used all that history in my life, all that background uh, to tap me on the shoulder. And, and frankly, when he did, I, my first response is, you got to be kidding me. Uh, at the time, I was an executive coach. I was working with C-suite leaders. I was teaching in a doctoral program, you know, all this systems theory and the abstracts and all that stuff. Uh, and so I'm probably not the, the most obvious candidate to to be doing something like this, but, and I'm sure that other people can and will do it much better. Uh, but, but it's, it seems to have taken hold. And, uh, so today we're, 
we've probably got, I don't know, 20,000 leaders around the world that are engaged with this program that we're doing. So we just uh, are trying to keep up and the Lord is, has blessed this uh, in amazing ways. That's incredible. <clears throat> and so were the stories you were telling uh, in both of those, those instances where you were asked to preach, those are just stories you just pulled from the Bible? Or, or iteration. Yeah, or I mean, there are stories that I've just told from the Bible and, you know, told them I used a little bit of creativity, but I tried not to, you know, be fanciful about it because I think there's yeah. a difference between imagination and fancy. Right. Uh, but I, you know, I try to try to use some, but I stuck very closely to the text and, and tried to retell the story as best I knew how. Um, and, and people just—it's amazing that that uh, they didn't have to. I didn't have to explain it to them, mm. uh, and that's what that's what started to help me to to realize that the story can indeed carry the gospel. Mm. Uh, it doesn't necessarily always have to just explain the gospel, but it can carry it. Uh, yeah. It can embody it, actually. So, mm. if that makes sense we can unpack that but that's just uh no that does yeah. um that's good so as we as we begin our discussion today and before we get into much of the story stuff um i want to give maybe a little guidance and framework for our listeners as we are going to spend most of this discussion on story how do you define story like what is a story in your mind well a story uh, is in effect, I would call it, uh, I think I called it, maybe I didn't call it in the book, but I would call it a scaffolding, if you will. When you think of a, of a building, the, the building is not the scaffolding. The scaffolding is there to build the building mm-hmm. in order to create the building, in order to provide a frame, uh, a structure, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's a scaffolding, if you will, if you could think of that image, upon which the content is built. So the story is the content. And the, sto- the, 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 the content, of course, is, is to provide meaning and, and learning. Uh, and good stories also fe- always feature character, characters. There's usually a, a hero in the story. It can be a reluctant hero oftentimes, but, mm-hmm. and, and an antagonist. And the antagonist can be another person or it can be the environment or it can be, you know, whatever. But there's a hero and there's an antagonist and there's a struggle. There's a struggle of, of external circumstances that are circumstances external to the to the hero or can be internal. There can be a hero like uh, the the story, the beautiful mind, wonderful story with Russell Crowe, where this the struggle is internal uh, the person had a mental issue that uh, mm-hmm. was an internal struggle um, and of course the story has to be going somewhere there has to be tension in a story that is moving toward a desired outcome it is a goal but once the tension is satisfied the story is over uh, right. so the tension is what makes the story it is the is the platform on which the story travels. And once that tension is satisfied, uh, the credits have to roll uh, because it's over. 
Um, so those are the pieces that I understand any good story to contain. And that story can be a true story, a, 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 a made up story. It can be science fiction. It can be drama. It can be comedy. It can be whatever, but it can, it, it has, I think it has to pretty much contain those elements in order to be a, a meaningful story. Yeah. <clears throat> Are you familiar with Robert McKee? I know the name. Yes. He's uh, he, he's, in Hollywood would be considered like the storytelling guru, if that's a term you could give anybody. But he yeah. he does a lot of storytelling, storytelling structure teaching uh, for <coughs> screenwriters and script writers and, and actors and directors. Uh, his, his definition of story that I really like, and maybe the most simplified definition that I've ever seen, is that his definition would say story conflict changes life yeah. right like there this idea that there has to be conflict within a story that tension that you talked about in order for the story to be a story right um yeah i good, see that conflict changes life i like that yeah and i see that play out within the entire biblical narrative when every Absolutely. single story in the biblical narrative uh, in the bible there's there's constant conflict and and some type of challenge or tension uh, and that is the story of our lives on repeat over and over and over again, right? This, this constant cycle and rhythm of right. conflict changes life, conflict changes life, especially for a Christian, right? Like 18 years ago, I said yes to Jesus. And ever since he's been transforming me and making me lo- more like him. And it's been this constant Conflict changes life. That's conflict all the time. That that disruption right. is what creates the the growth. Is the truth of the matter. Yeah. Um, so that's part of our all of our stories for sure. Mm. Yeah. Story I, also obviously the word life is so important in McGee's uh, definition because yeah. story has to relate to your listener mm-hmm. and not necessarily that you have to tell him or her that it relates to them but they have to figure that out for themselves for uh, mm. that's why I use the word meaning because that's what story has the power to do that sometimes facts don't is yeah. that story helps us to see ourselves within the framework of that story. And the most powerful stories are those that nobody has to tell us that. Yeah. Well, you talked about in your, in your previous story example where, um, for the first time you were seeing people react and respond to the stories that you were telling because you were sharing something within the oral tradition culture in which they communicated. Um, like we see this, I, I've been listening and being, I've been fascinated by what I'm learning in the, in a, in a show or podcast called the Bama podcast. And it talks a lot about um, chiasms and chiastic structure within the biblical narrative, especially within the, the Torah and how the the authors of the Bible writing to an Eastern audience wrote in these chiastic structures to hide the central piece of the story within the narrative. Like our our tendency in the West is, like you said, like put it in a three act logical uh, structure yeah. so that we can know what this it's, means it's right off the bat. Yeah. yeah. But but this chiastic structure would 
make an attempt at hiding the key point of the story in the narrative Mm -hmm. so that as the listener or the reader walks through that story and like digs for that piece of treasure when they do find it, because they had to put in effort to figure out what was going on and what the author was trying to say was the central piece or point or theme of the story. Now I've found a piece of treasure and I hold on to that so much more significantly and, and, and bury it deep into my heart because man, I had to work for that. I had to go. Yeah. I found it. I dug deep. I, I just wasn't there in a three part (laughs) bullet pointed logical presentation. And so I think that there's something like that that's going on within, within story. And when we, when we talk about story and story structure and um, how we are wired to engage with, with all of humanity's wired in this way um, uh, there's, you see some truth to that within how scripture was written itself. So. Yeah, I agree. I was recently, uh, with a group of global leaders, uh, people we work with, and we're trying to think through how would we, uh, we're working on an overview of the entire scripture to try to figure out how do we tell this story. And I had written up an outline that I thought was brilliant. And so I presented it to them. <laughs> and it was, it was all these themes, you know, it was the themes of glory and grace and Blah, 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 blah. Not that those things aren't important, please understand. But right. I'm a theologian. You know, I've been, to, I've been to Bible college. I know this stuff. Let me tell so you anyway, how much I know. <laughs> yeah. And so I've got these themes and I'm, you know, telling stories to explain these themes. And they said, they were, they were polite to me. But they said, no, 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 no. They said, uh, the, the, first of all, they said, the Bible meanders. The Bible is not real obvious in the way it tells a story. That's first. Mm. And the second is, is, have you ever paid any attention, Rick, to the begats? Begats are important. Why? Because when we tell our to- stories in the tribe, we also we always tell it about people and mm. our forefathers and those forefathers' struggles and, and how they pass it on to the next forefathers and their struggles and their struggles. And it's about these relationships and these conflicts of relationships and these interpersonal struggles. That is what creates, out of that comes the discovery of these themes, but it's not saying the themes up front and then using illustrations to explain the themes. You, you follow me? So that's, that's critical to their understanding of how the story should be told. And I, that's brand new to me. I mean, literally that, that was a new uh, awareness literally within the last 12 months. Mm. Man, that's, that's fascinating. So I, I, I have to tell you, I first learned uh, about you and your work while doing some research for uh, some coursework that we've been working on and developing within our ministry, um, more specifically within the marketing space, but still relevant to what you talk about in your book and, and on your site and what you guys are doing in your ministry. But I saw the quote that you said, 80% of the world's people belong to cultures that learn best through story, images, and music. They're most likely influenced through other through oral rather than literate means, yet more than 90% of Christian workers are literate, are using literacy-based communication. After I read that, and after I read that to myself, I said, and I've got to meet this guy first. He's obviously <laughs> as passionate about storytelling as, as we are at Reliant. Um, 
But with that quote and that statistic in mind, can you share maybe some of the your high level thoughts on on the power of story and maybe specifically why the church could benefit from using this powerful tool more effectively, not just in or traditionally oral tradition cultures, because I believe we are living through with this digital world that we're, we're, we've been entering to for the last two decades or so, we're living through the greatest communication shift in human history. And what in the, especially in the West, what used to be a literacy based culture is quickly moving to an oral tradition culture. I mean, it's said that by 2025, Facebook will be will have no words on it, that it will just be icons, images, and videos. And we're already seeing that move with most of the digital platforms. Um, it's just icons and images and video and, and yeah. story. And so, and how, as the church, this is a big question. There's a lot of questions in this. So <laughs> we'll, we can unpack this and, and spend some time on it. But and how do we prepare ourselves within the church for that shift that, that, that is taking place? And I think you specifically with what you guys are doing, already having functioned in this area, um, might have some really key insights. Well, I, I, I don't know whether they're, they're unique to us. In fact, that, that quote that I shared is not unique to me. That comes from some, from some great folks with the international mission board that have mm. cited some of that, that, uh, that, that have said that. So anyway, um, I think the place to start, Zach, for me would be to, to say that I grew up, and I think it's true for most people in, in my generation, um, I grew up in a world that had a, a pretty strong bias against story, mm. uh, at least the way I was trained. Um, I grew up with the systematics and theology and preaching, and as I said, I uh, expository preaching for, you know, and in, in, to be a faithful uh, divider of the word of truth, you needed to go verse by verse and give, you know, the, the points and so forth. And a lot of the, of course, a lot of the uh, uh, didactic portion of scripture are not story, even though most of the Bible is, um, you know, when you're teaching Romans, it's, it's tough to, you know, see that immediately. So I, I think that I grew up uh, in a, in a, in a church culture, at least, uh, that would, that had a bias against story. Um, and the reason is, I think, it came, it came to us, honestly, uh, when I was growing up, for example, story, uh, for the most part, was, first of all, regarded as a device to put a spin on something. Uh, it, it was used as a, as a play to stretch logic, if you will. It was, it, it meant untrue. Uh, mm. On the words of my my grandmother, on the tongue of my grandmother, she would send me for a loaf of bread, and she'd give me money for the bread, and uh, and and I would go buy the bread, and uh, I you know she'd say where the change, and and I'd say well I dropped it along the road or whatever, <laughs> and she'd say now son don't tell me a story, and mm. so story on my tongue growing up meant untrue. And so the question really is, can we, can we commit our, the gospel to something that is fundamentally perceived as untrue? That's, that's the first question. That's a critical question. Um, mm. And, and uh, so that's first. The second 
is that even if it's true, uh, Story was, I, it, I got the impression that Story meant lightweight. Um, it, you know, in fact, when I first started preaching, and I've done a bit of it through my lifetime, if you wanted to, uh, somebody asked you, how was the preaching? And if somebody said, well, it was okay, he told a lot of stories, uh, that mm-hmm. meant there wasn't much to it. There wasn't much substance to it. Uh, you know, if somebody really wants to get serious about preaching, they might tell a story to give people a break from the heavy stuff. But if they want to really get serious, they get back to the ought, must, and should stuff. You know, the the three points, the 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 propositional statements. That's mm-hmm. that's what's serious. And so, those things I think have biased the church towards story in ways that we aren't even conscious of. And then, of course. Uh, all of us have been to college and higher learning is populated with, with, uh, you know, with, with white paper. If, if you, you know, in order to uh, graduate from college, you've got to sit in a cubicle by yourself and take this test. And it's based on what you know, and it's the facts and, and, and so on and so forth. And, and uh, so in order to really carry the freight, uh, the the facts, the the abstract theory, the the concepts are the heavy part of, of what's important. And so in that kind of a world, the question would come, can we trust the gospel to a story? Uh, and I think it, it, it really gets to be a question. Uh, for me, I, I don't know, over time, I began to look outside the church and realize that for, for, uh, for our culture and many cultures around the world, they have taken for a long time story much more seriously mm-hmm. than the church has. Um, they are way ahead of us on this. In fact, it, I think it would be safe to say that uh, with the use of story in film, story in novels, story on Broadway, story wherever you look, that that has been the, the, the primary vehicle for changing our culture mm-hmm. over the last 40 or 50 years. And we could use some specific examples of that, but I think that the church is way behind uh, mm-hmm. on that. Uh, even today, I've had preachers say, well, and stories, nice stuff, but when I really want to get serious, I gotta, I gotta teach theology, uh, <laughs> because uh, you know if somebody shows up at a funeral, they gotta hear theology, and yet I'm not sure that the preacher is listening to the fact that when people show up at sir at funerals, they want to hear stories about the person's life, and the witness of that person's life that's so powerful when people are sitting listening in a sermon in a in a in a, in a funeral or for my own case, you know, I've preached many, many, probably hundreds, thousands of sermons in my lifetime, but people walk up to me 10 years later, they don't remember the sermon, but I remember that story you told, Mm. uh, that moved me. And, and, uh, so there's no question that this whole issue of story is, is incredibly powerful in our own culture and even more exponentially in other cultures around where that continues to be recognized as, the, as a main vehicle for communication. Hmm. 
And so in those international settings where you guys do a lot of your work, there you don't find that there's – do you find that there's any pushback at all? I mean, I guess you mentioned that the Indonesia seminary where or church where – Seminary students were coming oh, yeah. and saying, yeah, hey, do it that way, right? There's, there's pushback because wherever they've learned from Westerners, mm. they have learned that that's the way to do it. Mm. And uh, and so, yeah, the, the places that have been affected by Western educational models uh, often have a bias against story. Uh, and, but But as you move into the culture itself, as you move into the places where the people actually live, you find an increasing uh, primary reliance on story in those contexts, for sure. Mm. So if you're going to get to the people, um, it's going to be story that does it. Mm. So with those misconceptions of story that are that run rampant throughout the global church, it sounds like, how, what are yeah, they what do. are some of the things that we can do to what are some of the things you guys are doing to try to shift that mindset because it is it's a mindset shift right yeah I mean I think I think the first is to ask the question is is to rec- help the church to recognize uh, in specific examples and we've tried to use some examples in the book leading with story examples of in in many ways examples of things that have gone right, some examples of things that have gone way wrong. But regardless, it's story that has driven a lot of that. Um, and so I think the first is to help uh, the leaders of the church, the, the church to begin to understand the powerful vehicle that story has been in our own culture, to begin mm-hmm. to become aware of that uh, as they encounter people that are watching television Monday through Saturday mm-hmm. as, as they're reading books, as they're uh, listening to music and, and begin to recognize that those are the media that are deeply impacting people six and a half, six and three quarter days a week. And to try to stand up on Sunday and Combat that, if you will, if, if, if that's what it's about, uh, with a propositional statement, mm. it's just not going to get it done. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's a propositional statements um, do not move people. Uh, they may be true, but they don't embody meaning for people. Mm. It's the stories that people listen to, whether it's, you know, Wicked on Broadway or reading a great novel by, by, uh, you know, whoever's, and I, I've started reading novels, so it's just a lot <laughs> of storytelling, which is fascinating. Yeah. Uh, and some of it is interesting stuff, but, but, uh, and all these media are, uh, are moving people and influencing people uh, in profound ways that we can't combat, we can't compete with if we're using propositional statements. Mm-hmm. And so a, a place to start is a recognition of that. Um, a, a second place to start is begin experimenting with story. I think that's, uh, I, 
I think we have conditioned our people, frankly, to have a, a, a suspicion about story. Mm-hmm. Uh, but And so probably just going wholesale story is not going to work. So using story um, to, to communicate the truth is a place to start. It, uh, we have people in the, I think in the pews have been used to being spoon fed the truth and with a few illustrations sprinkled in. So I don't imagine it's going to work just to tell them the story and walk away like you do in, 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 in uh, majority world cultures, but begin begin helping people to see the power of story and then talk about it. Talk about what you're doing and do what you're talking about. That's what, that's what I was trying to do in the context where I was. And people began to expect story, in fact, mm. uh, as we began down that road. But it is a process. It's not an overnight change that I don't, I don't think an overnight change is going to work. Yeah. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Ministry Grow Show. If you enjoyed it, we'd appreciate it if you rate and or review us on the iTunes store. And make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. If you have a story to share with other ministry directors and pastors, or know someone who would be an incredible guest on the Ministry Grow Show, let us know. We love connecting with ministry executives and sharing their wisdom and insight with our audience. Just send us an email at info at reliantcreative.org. And lastly, If you need help telling your ministry story, we would love to share how we can help in that process. Check out Reliant Creative at reliantcreative.org. See you next time.